0: Welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. We believe doing good inspires good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The intention behind this show is to encourage you by sharing the undeniable good happening within our community. One of the ways we plan to do that is by sharing the stories of nonprofit organizations across the region who are creating more generous, vibrant and engaged communities. Tune into the Do Good Radio Hour every Monday at 2 p.m. to hear about the good that is the heartbeat of our community and how you can get more involved. Welcome, listeners. My name is Kayton, and I am part of the communications team here at BGCF. First and foremost, Happy New Year. We have good things planned for 2021. So please continue to follow along with us on our social media to see all the positive stuff happening here in Lexington. What a blessing to live in a community such as ours. And I know we are all craving for better things this year and there's no better place to start with that than this podcast and learning how to get more involved in philanthropy. So let's get right into it. We have three awesome interviews with three amazing nonprofits this week. We have Arbor Youth Services, Central Kentucky Youth Orchestras, and Josephine Sculpture Park. So continue to listen if you're wanting to get more involved in your community. Imagine a community where every child and youth has a stable home. That's the goal of Arbor Youth Services. Let's learn more about it from Andrew Shade, the Development Director. Hello, Andrew. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm excited to learn more about you. But first, I want to know what led you to
1: Arbor Youth Services. Um, You know, I've been in nonprofit work for, oh, goodness, a lot of years. i got to do math. I don't know, 17 years or so. And um, I started in nonprofit here in Lexington working with kids, at-risk kids, and uh, moved away for many years, lived in Ohio and Oregon, and came back and found my way right back to where I started working with kids right here in Central Kentucky. And that's where my heart always was, so it really worked out for me.
0: I love it, and the mission of Arbor Youth Services is very bold. So, share it with us and how it has played out in your programming.
1: Yeah, so basically, we're just making sure that every youth out there has a safe and stable home, um, whatever that wherever that may be. Uh, so, we work with kids uh, as young as newborns through age seventeen. We provide uh, care and shelter for them. Uh, these kids come to us because. They've been pulled from their house uh, due to abuse or neglect, abandonment. Uh, they could be between foster care stays and need a temporary spot to stay. Uh, we've had parents who were evicted and became homeless and were living in their cars or in a barn and we take the kids so that that's not the case for them while that parent uh, gets back on their feet again. We work with the families as well to kind of help make those next steps as smooth and safe as possible. Um, and we don't let a child leave our care until we know that then their next stop is safe and healthy, and uh, that, that's a big deal. We also work with homeless 18 to 24 year olds, which are still considered youth, um, but they don't necessarily live on our site with us, but they can stop in and cook food, uh, wash their clothes, take a shower, because most of these youth are homeless, looking uh, in tents or abandoned buildings. Or a variety of places like that. And uh, so we can kind of serve as this, this stop-in spot, an outreach center where they can come in and, and get help with some of the, the basics. We'll give them food and toiletries and we'll work with them one-on-one uh, to help get them out of homelessness and into housing. Uh, so we could you know, come into apartments or help them find jobs and become self-sustaining. Uh, every every story is just a little bit different, uh, but we wanna make sure that at least here in central Kentucky, there are no homeless kids on the street.
0: Where are your shelters located or your building or your headquarters?
1: Yeah, so we have three buildings, three houses, basically. Two of them are side by side. They're not too far from Ruparina. Arena. That's where our little kids will stay with us. Uh, the babies through age 17. That could be one night. It could be two months. Every story is different. And right next door to that is our outreach center. That's where 18 to 24-year-olds who are homeless can stop in for, for a little bit of help. And we have another house, uh, a six-unit uh, facility. Uh, kind of in the Bryan Station area where we house six uh, formerly homeless youth. Um, And uh, that's kind of a permanent housing situation where we work with them during that time to make sure they have a job, they have a budget. Um, And it's kind of like this great spot where they get to learn like what it is to be an adult, especially when a lot of these youth don't have access or support from families. Um, So a lot of these basics, like, how do I pay my electric bill? And, you know, uh, how do I buy groceries on this, this budget? Uh, so our staff works with them uh, over over the time that they're with us staying there uh, to make sure that they get to get a little help, a little coaching along the way.
0: So when youth enter your shelter, what is the process in providing a safe and supportive environment?
1: Mm-hmm. So basically we really want to run our facilities like a house. Um, if anyone ever gets to tour our facilities, which we love doing, um, you will say, it does look like the house. There's a living room, there's a TV, there's some board games, books and toys. And uh, we try to make sure that um, right off the bat that, that that kids know that we are a safe place to be. They may be coming from a very dangerous place. Um, but it's so it's important for them to know that right away, our staff is caring, loving, compassionate Um patient and so they get to uh, have a schedule just like most homes would you know wake up time breakfast brush your teeth get ready for school we drive them to and from their home school um, we have activity time and we try to do a recreational therapy which is just get out and have some fun we may take them to an arcade or get out to a pizza place ice skating these sort of things just to kind of get them out of the house try to get their their minds off of what's going on in their real world. And we also do um, group meetings where the youth get to talk about what's going on in their life and uh, uh, how things have been. And then we work with them, the youth themselves, uh, and the family, and potentially um, police officers or lawyers or our, uh, uh, Kentucky's uh, Child Protective Services uh, based on each situation. We get to be that middle ground for everyone to come meet, out what's going on and then decide where the kid is going to go next.
0: So Arbor Youth Services is Central Kentucky's only safe place designated emergency shelter. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I think I saw that, that on your website.
1: Yep. You're right. Yeah. We're basically, if, if you've ever driven around town you see the bright yellow safe place signs on buildings, grocery stores, wherever, um, we're the central hub for all of those. Meaning if a youth were to go into any of those facilities and say, Hey. I'm in danger. I need help or something's wrong. Um, That facility, their staff are all trained. Um, That's a requirement to be a safe place. They're trained. They call us. Our staff goes out and assesses assesses the situation and um, potentially brings that youth back to our shelter if need be. Um, But it's important for us to let kids all over know we speak in schools and that sort of thing, letting them know what a safe place is. Um, and it happens. Uh, we've had a librarian, uh, a library in Jesmond County call and say, I have a kid sleeping on the stairs. We're a safe place. So I knew to call you. So we were able to go and help that kid. Um, we had, uh, not too long ago, um, I believe he was about nine years old, just rode into our shelter, which has a safe place sign outside. And he said, I'm, I feel I'm in danger at home. And so we were starting to kind of investigate that story, see what was going on. And it wasn't but a few hours later, the police showed up and brought in his sister because he was telling the truth. His home was a dangerous place. So they pulled his sister out as well. Um, and, and we were that safe holding, holding spot, that, that safe house uh, for, for those siblings while we figured out, figured out that situation. Wow. And one thing that most people don't know is all the like trans buses are safe places. So if a kid were to find a bus that pulls up, they can run out to that bus, tell the driver I'm in danger and that, that bus immediately shuts down and becomes a safe place. So that's kind of cool.
0: Wow. What an asset to our community. So in your opinion, you might've already answered this, but you might have a different answer. What is the most important thing Arbor Youth Services contributes to our community? Um,
1: I mean, I think just ensuring that kids always have a safe environment. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, man, bad parents are abusing their kids. They go to Arbor Youth. But that is that is true. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it is parents that are down on their luck. We had a mom um, who came from another county. We never turned away kids based on where they're from. Um, but she had come into Lexington from another county. She was fleeing domestic violence. She was in danger. Her whole family was in danger, her and her child. And She got to Lexington and then she had a medical emergency and had to go to the hospital so she here she is in a city where she doesn 't know anybody she 's trying to get away to be safe, which you know a woman should um, and then and she 's this kid and she 's in the hospital, so we took we took care of the child while she was um, uh, getting better and uh, and worked with her and other nonprofits in the area that 's one of the best things that I love about nonprofit lexington is uh, everyone is a team player. There's no egos when it comes to nonprofits around here. And that is what is best for Central Kentuckians that need our help. So um, we do phone calls and cell phone to cell phone staff members. Hey, I've got this. I know that you have this item that they would need. And, and we just work back and forth. It's fantastic.
0: So obviously the times we are living in are uncertain and nonprofits have had to learn how to adapt and make some changes. So I'm sure you have experienced this at Arbor Youth, but so now more than ever is the perfect time for people to give. Why should our listeners give to you all?
1: Yeah, I mean, this has been such a year, such a scary year for the entire planet, but certainly for us nonprofits, I I understand this is a tough year on everyone. Um, But this is a year where a lot of people lost work, um, a lot of businesses, income slowed down. And one of the first things that goes in a a recession of any kind is charitable giving. Um, And we get it, like you have to pay your bills and take care of your own family. Um, But it makes it really tough on the nonprofits in the area. Um, We've definitely seen a a decrease in donations, uh, grants. We've gotten letters that say, because of uh, COVID and loss of funding, we're unable to provide this grant this year. So that it's you know un- uh, frustrating getting those, but again, we understand it's just happened to the whole planet. We we normally do this big in-person fundraiser, this big annual event called Burgers, Bourbon, and Beer, which is a blast. Last year, during a normal normal air quotes normal year, uh, that raised about eighty thousand dollars. This year, we did a virtual event, raised about twenty-six thousand dollars. So there's you know a very significant app there, a funding that we were used to having to be able to spend on our programs um, that's not there. So if there was every year, if you were blessed during COVID and kept your job, you have the interest, the passion, and the ability to give, this is a year to give. Um, we want to make sure that our programs all stay, they're all stable, and um, we want to make sure that no matter what, Kentucky's kids have a safe place to go, and uh, so we need help help from everybody out there. That's the one thing I love about Kentucky is Kentuckians, they we take care of each other and that is not the case everywhere in the world. Um, but I, I feel like that is definitely how, how Kentucky runs. It's almost like we're Kentucky, we're a big blue nation, we're the South, we take care of each other and um, I, I just want to make sure that that we're okay this year. So.
0: so you often deal with youth who are in a vulnerable position and your organization is able to come alongside them and be a form of stability we all need and crave that consistency. So that has to be incredibly rewarding to see that happen. Can you describe for us a particularly rewarding experience you have had during your time serving at Arbor Youth?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, there are lots, you know, people always ask me like, how is it so hard working there? You know, working with kids that have come through such tough moments. I'm like, Absolutely. There are tough days where um, it impacts all of us. But there's also a lot of laughter, a lot of games, a lot of silly time um, that also uh, kind of helps make up for a little bit of that. And uh, I think any time that we see a kid laughing um, and smiling, we have kids that come through the door in tears, wide-eyed, absolutely terrified. Um, they've been pulled from the only place they know their home for whatever reason. And they come to this other house. They don't know us. They don't know our staff. They don't know really what's going on often. A lot of them are usually so young. Um, But with those magical pieces, like uh, two or three hours or maybe a day or two into it, they start to loosen up. And they're like, I'm I'm allowed to play here. I'm allowed to be silly here. I'm not in danger here. No one is threatening me here. I I get food here. I get to eat three meals a day here. Um, We've had kids like, I love it here so much. Can I stay here? We're like, well, no, we would love it. um, But, you can't stay forever. But, um, so we, which one of them, that's, I guess that's probably the happiest moments for me is when you see a kid's walls break down, those can be some big, thick walls. Um, and I understand, and understandably so we've also had kids brought to us and, and the people that drop them off, like this is a real troubled child. He's tough. He's, uh, hurting, he's angry. And, um, when we see those kids loosen up a little bit and, uh, show who they really are, then they're fun and silly and, and, uh, it's just amazing, you know, world, the world can make them so, uh, so tough. And, uh, but when they are with us, they get kids and we really encourage that.
0: Just the impact of feeling safe and how that can really change, change the way a kid looks at their future.
1: Change their entire world in a second when they realize no one's going to hit me here. You no, know, um, I get I'm not going to go hungry. here. That's a big life-changing thing.
0: Well, Andrew, thank you for truly transforming the lives of our youth here in Lexington and really doing good as this radio show is titled. So thank you for taking the time to share your story and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Radio Lex, the voice of the people. Please help me give a warm welcome to our next guest, Amelia Gretsch, Executive Director of the Central Kentucky Youth Orchestras. Hello, Amelia. Hi, Katen. Thanks for having me today. Yes, welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour. We tell stories on here, so we're excited to hear your story. But before we get into the nitty gritty of that, let's learn more about you and what led you to Central Kentucky Youth Orchestras, that's a mouthful, and how you got involved.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We can call it CKYO
0: for brevity if
2: that's easier. That's how most people know us in the community. Okay, good. So um, yeah, I've actually been with CKYO since 2012. Um, I first came as a general manager where I did that position for five years and then transitioned to the executive director after that. Um, We've had two music directors in my time here, so sort of transitioning from general manager, which was more operations and less sort of board and executive HR finance, that kind of thing. Um, It transitioned when we swapped music directors basically and had to go through a search. Um, So I sort of seen the organization very closely in lots of different ways for the last eight years, almost nine years. Um, I am not originally from Lexington. I came to Lexington in 2006 for my master's at UK, um, which is actually, my background is in voice, opera, vocal performance. So I studied with Everett McCorvey at UK and UK opera. I just opera interviewed him for
0: the show and he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's, he's
2: incredible. He is one of my greatest mentors and friends and teachers. And I learned so much from him and really so much from him about arts administration and leading an organization and in um, about fundraising and making connections and um, all of those things. I really got great skills as I was Um, a graduate assistant in my master's as an opera singer. Um, I got to sit on the Opera Lex board when I was as a student. And so I got to kind of see how it worked to be um, a part of a nonprofit board, um, those kinds of things. And then just working with him as a student, you know, just kind of seeing how he interacted with the community. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I've been here in Lexington since 2006. I'm originally from Des Moines, Iowa, um, and have
0: been here basically ever since music is an irreplaceable tool for growth and change in a young person's life and i know that's imperative to your mission so can you put into your words the heart of the organization and its aim Mm -hmm.
2: yep the uh, the purpose of ckyo um, is really to provide Um, equitable access to high quality musical opportunities, performance education, um, and really develop a love, a lifelong love of music for those students. Um, And it's all throughout central Kentucky, not just here in Lexington. We have students coming from over 16 counties every week, um, about 60 different schools. Um, And it's also important that we work very cooperatively with our private and public schools. We require all of our students who are in our auditioned orchestras to participate in their school ensembles. Um, Because the the music education programs, the orchestras, the bands, the choirs here in Central Kentucky are so strong, that's why we have such a high artistic um, level of players in our ensembles. It really makes a huge difference when they're playing their instrument multiple times a week, they're taking private lessons. It just, they can excel when they're all together every week so much faster. It's almost like being at like an elite all state orchestra every single week. So it's really, really important that, um, and we think it's so important that students are huge participants and we require, it of course that they're at their school programs. And so we work cooperatively there with, with those school programs as well.
0: So when you say students come from all different counties across Central Kentucky, do you mean they come to us a, a building? Where's your building? What is your facility like? Explain that. Sure, so we actually don't own our own facility. Whether
2: for office space or rehearsals. Um, we have offices at Arts Place, so it's really nice to be sort of in the hub of arts in Lexington with LexArts here and the Lexington Philharmonic and the Lexington Ballet and lots of other um, organizations that have their offices here in this building. So we're right in the heart of downtown. Um, typically, we don't even have rehearsals here at this building. Um, in a normal season, we're at Singletary Center on UK's campus or in the Fayette County Public Schools after school and then we also run um, one of our community programs, Music Works, at Arlington Christian Church. Um, this year we are actually, of course, not able to be at UK or to be in the Fayette County School buildings after hours, um, and so that has been a challenge trying to find other rehearsal spaces that can accommodate. Um, granted, we have less fewer students in each ensemble, of course, right now, um, but having enough space to fit 20 kids in a room properly distanced um, has been a challenge. So we've been utilizing Arts Place here in the performance hall. And then also a couple of our local churches, Tates Creek Christian Church and um, St. Luke United Methodist.
0: Can you describe these ensembles a little bit? Is it just as a music lover? My father was a band director growing up. So is it just strictly strings or is there brass? What's in your Ensemble. ensemble? yeah so in a typical year sort of our traditional layout of ensembles we
2: have seven ensembles that are audition based um, and tuition based Um, and so those ensembles um, we have three full symphonic orchestras so all strings brass winds and percussion sometimes harp and piano if we can and find a harpist Um, and then we have a preparatory string ensemble which is just strings for some of our Um, Students who have never played in any type of an ensemble before, maybe they've just taken lessons um, or they're just starting out, but it gets them to learn how to play together and listen. Um, And then we also do um, a jazz band program. We have two big band jazz bands or jazz orchestras that we run and a percussion ensemble. So we kind of cover a lot of bases there. We have about 350 or so kids that participate in those groups in a typical season. And then we also have we sort of have the auditioned um, orchestras part of our um, our organization, and then we also have the community programs, which um, are called CKO Music Works and Friends in Music, and those are offered free at no charge to the participants. And those are after-school intensive programs that um, seek to give the opportunity of either learning more about their instrument or really introducing students to string instruments um, who wouldn't normally come to learn a string instrument.
0: On average about how many students do you all have cycling through your programs throughout the year? We are typically about 450 students that we see each week um, throughout all of our various programs. That's That's incredible. So obviously your time is probably mostly spent preparing for concerts and performances and things like that, but I want to know what's going on with you on a day-to-day basis. Take me through the daily operations. Sure. So um, we've got a
2: lot going on. We have a small staff, um, but a lot of really amazing, dedicated people who do so much and who care so much about the students that we see each week. So it's pretty incredible. So we are running um our audition-based orchestras four days out of the week after school so typically starting around six o'clock and running till about nine Um, so each orchestra would meet for one night a week for you know between two and three hours and then our community programs also run uh, monday through friday our music works program runs four days a week after school for all of those students um, for about two and a half hours a day so those kids are getting almost 400 hours a year of musical education that's provided at no cost to their families which is just incredible and they really learn so much so quickly and those kids come to us with typically no previous musical instruction at all so they're starting in maybe second grade third grade elementary school ages i've never even held an instrument before a string instrument before at least and um, really start at the basics and together as a community they learn um, all about how to learn their instruments together. And, and then on weekends, again, a lot of what we do, while we are always preparing for performances, you know, more of what we do is about, you know, the, the quality of the time is spent in rehearsal and how to rehearse and how to listen to each other and how to come together as an ensemble, um, more than really focusing on that end performance, which is mm. in COVID times, you know, is, is, is different because we can still, in general, in different ways, you know, really come together and still rehearse. Performing is sort of the cherry on top. And then it's really about the time spent in the rehearsal for the students.
0: I love that concept. Obviously the end result is important, but focusing on the process Mm -hmm. to get there. And that's really crucial for young, impressionable students, you know, and have you seen that focus affect them and how they take on their future, maybe in music or whatever they like to do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is so rewarding about getting to know all these kids each year is seeing all the amazing things they do. These are not, I mean, these kids are excellent world class musicians, especially in our top level orchestras. I mean, they are playing at a level that they absolutely can walk into any college orchestra and you know, fit right in. They're playing that type of repertoire that you hear in professional orchestras and in college orchestras. That's phenomenal. But also they're all just brilliant students. You know, they are involved in so many things. It's not just art. It's not just music, but it's, you know, they are high achievers in math and science and engineering and visual art and creative writing. And it's just really incredible, you know, to see how there are these amazing musicians that can really do incredible things for their age, but are also achieving at such a high level in all the other aspects of their life. So um, I don't know if those, you know, those things definitely do go hand in hand, you know, learning, you learn discipline and, um, you know, cooperation and compassion and, you know, problem solving and how to listen, all these things um, as a musician that you can also apply to Every aspect of your life and all of your academics as well, and we see that you know not with just our our most advanced students, but really with the kids that we're starting like in music works. You know, the, we hear from parents all the time that because of learning an instrument, the students' focus has increased in a in just leaps and bounds in a year, and they're um, much more responsive to teachers. They can communicate better. You know, all of these things that are sort of transferable skills that they learn when they're learning an instrument.
0: You get to be a part of that process, which I'm sure is incredibly rewarding. And you are pushing mm-hmm. students to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Yes. I saw that on your website. So I yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> how have you um, seen this positively impact those involved and just give us a rewarding story that you've experienced as the ED? I
2: think anytime, I mean, we're so lucky. Anytime you work with youth, it's just an inspiring Thing and then, especially, you know, getting to know their individual stories and seeing them every week and seeing, you know, sort of challenges they go through and not just every week, but over the years. I mean, we have so many students that come from like legacy families where four students in the family have gone through our programs and so we really get to know them and see their and know their families for over all these years but one specific rewarding um i mean it's like my heart bursts when i'm at a concert you know hearing them all play together and at such an incredible level i mean it really is astounding like i think typically when we are able to have people in our concert halls you know it's um it's usually parents and families and friends, but you know, what, what happens in those rooms when they're performing is just incredible to see these young people up there making this incredible artistic product at such a high level. And of course, you know, not every note is perfect and not everything's always in tune, but sort of that collective spirit and excitement that they all have together is just electric. And so you can always feel that And that's one thing where of course we're missing, you know, having in live, you know, live, Um, in-person performances but um, I think they still feel that we're recording all of our performances that we're doing right now and so they still get a little little sense of that but we don't as an audience get to feel that. Um, So I think you know just
0: just getting to know
2: the community of kids and families that we work with is is rewarding
0: every week. Right it seems like it's magic as they call it you know Mm -hmm. in the music world so During this time, nonprofits have had to pivot and things are different now, but what I really love about asking about COVID-19, because I thought about not asking about it, but I think I should because it really shows the resiliency and how innovative nonprofits are and how they aren't stopping their work. So just tell me about the process that you've had to go through with that and how you've seen your nonprofit really step up to the occasion. Sure. Um, I think one thing that we
2: have been able to do well um, is still provide the these experiences for these kids. And one of our goals in trying to, you know, continue operations this year has been, Getting kids back in a room together, making music together. And we've been able to do that. Um, So, what we've done is we've taken all of our students who are interested and split them up into much smaller groups. Typically, our big ensembles are about 90 kids, between 60 and 90. And we are working with no more than 25 kids in a room, in a room about the same size as what we normally have 90 students in. And we've, our conductors have done an incredible job with pivoting, you know, the artistic. Um, focus of it to all chamber music. So we had one full session. Um, We do like five week sessions, essentially, so we can have a performance so the kids can feel some um, final wrap up of everything that they're doing, which is important to them as well, something to work towards. And It has been really, we've heard really great things from our families about how much it means to these kids to have something to go to each week. And even if it's not the same and how they can relate and talk to their friends and students, it's just being in a room. And like you said, feeling that magic of, you know, everybody taking a collective breath together and then playing, Um, it it really
0: has made a difference as you've mentioned the things that you've said, it's obvious that you all are a vital resource for youth in central Kentucky to be educated and grow musically, but also to have essential social interaction and even travel opportunities, you know, in a normal Mm -hmm. situation. So it's an enriching experience all the way around. So people need to know this so they know, you know, why they should give to you. People should give to CKYO because we have been a, a huge
2: part of a lot of students' lives in central Kentucky for 73 years this year. Um, and we want to continue to do that. Beginning in 1947 up until now have never taken a year off, Um, and so I'm so proud that we can continue to do that and still be such a vital part of these students' lives. Um, And so we just want to continue to be a part of Central Kentucky's landscape and be an institution um, and an institution for good and for community and for art in Lexington.
0: I love that. So last question before we go, I just want you to give a final word, something, make sure you've said everything you want to say about your wonderful organization. I just hope
2: people will um, be inspired by art and music during these difficult times and, and times of isolation and things like that. And I think all the arts organizations in Lexington are so worthy and um, particularly one with us, with arts and youth, um, is is really amazing to watch how these students tell a story Um, through their
0: instruments and through their art. Shout out where people can find out more about you, your website, your social media, how they can get involved, where they can donate, all that stuff. Yep, absolutely. Um,
2: you can visit our website, which is ckyo.org. With all that information, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Um, and um, if you're an alumni, we have a lot of alumni from CKYO. So if you're an alumni, um, go to our website and take our alumni survey so we can learn more about you, where you are, how CKYO has impacted you, um, and how to get involved now. Um, As we come up upon our 75th anniversary, we're just trying to reach out to all of our alumni as well and make sure we have good contact information for everybody. But again, that's www.ckyo.org.
0: Amelia, thank you for sharing your story here on the Do Good Radio Hour. We appreciate it. Arts are truly for everyone, especially those at Josephine Sculpture Park in Frankfort, Kentucky. Let's hear more about it from Melanie Van Houten, the founder. Welcome, Melanie.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us today. So let's jump right in here and learn more about what led you to creating the Josephine Sculpture Park.
3: Well, I grew up here on this property, which is in Frankfort. If people don't know, we're just a Couple miles off of I 64, so really very centrally located. But this originally was a hundred acre tobacco farm that was my grandparents' farm, and so I spent a lot of time out here as a kid and just exploring, you know, the landscape. And you know, back then, my grandmother Josephine, you know, would kind of send me outside after breakfast, and you were just out, you know, exploring. world really and you know it felt huge and beautiful and you know wonderful and full of all these new experiences and I just really fell in love with it so um fast forward I guess I don't know 30 years later I I was a sculptor and um living and working in Minneapolis Minnesota and um was involved with a sculpture park there called Franconia Sculpture Park and it was a we modeled our park after them. And so it was started by some friends on a family's farm um, and had kind of grown, you know, from there. And I experienced things there, you know, different kinds of people coming together and talking about art or trying to solve problems. I mean, that's really what sculptors do is they they create, you know, challenges for themselves facially and try to figure it out. You know, I, re- I remember vividly when I had this idea that i wanted to come home and do this and there there was a farmer that had just you know driven by franconia you know a million times and had never stopped And this one day he decided to stop and there was this artist from new york trying to you know work on this big sculpture on the work pad and the next thing you know these two you know he's like what are you doing here you know and they start talking and this artist is like well i'm trying to figure out how to attach this to that and you know and and then the next thing you know like these two guys from you know, this guys from like Wisconsin farmer and this crazy, you know, New York artist are sitting there having this conversation trying to solve this problem. And I thought, that is what I want my work to do. And, and from that moment on, that would have been like, probably around the year 2000. And I was in graduate school at Minneapolis. So I had the seed was planted, you know, and one day I'll move home and, you know, transform the farm into a sculpture park and share it with the community. But uh, I was teaching sculpture after grad school and at St. Kate's up in St. Paul, Minnesota, but ultimately left that tenure track position in 2008 to come home and actually start the park. And we opened in 2009.
0: So. Grassroots organizations are very, very special. And I get to talk to the creator of one, which is extra extra special so talk us through your mission and your vision for the park
3: really what drives the park is this mantra that we believe the arts are for everyone every day jerry who jerry catherine howell is our program director and she and i work very closely on everything we do here um you know we're always trying to figure out how do we live up to that and how do we make it true and so um you know that includes you know offering opportunities That are free. The park itself is free and open every single day of the year from dawn until dusk. That's 365 days a year. This year during COVID was the first time we'd ever closed a day since we opened in in 2009. So uh, we're always working towards that. And our mission is really to connect people to each other and the land through the arts. And we do that by providing creative arts and nature education and a variety of different kinds of experiences to our community and also transformative opportunities to our artists while conserving the beauty of Kentucky's native rural landscape. Everybody in our community is really represented. Um, and so that in the artists, uh, the exhibition that is on view you know, throughout the year, it's a rotating exhibit. Um, we work very hard to make sure that we have a lot of women artists. Um, actually, we have more women um, on exhibition than women artists than, than male artists. Um, But we also, you know, want people from a lot of different diverse backgrounds as well. Again, economically, racially, culturally, um, and geographically. So there are artists that have come here from all over the world. Um, We've got artists from Frankfurt, and we also have artists from Germany and Peru and um, Japan and, you know, lots of different countries. So... um, But our real true passion she and i both is really to connect people and so we traditionally you know we're kind of known for these big events that are art based or music based and and infuse nature in that that really give people opportunities to have these shared experiences so even if they come from different backgrounds or they have different beliefs or ideas They find themselves in this place together. We both believe firmly that that, you know, that's really the stepping stone to starting to heal people, (laughs) you know, even before all of this year, you know, we felt a real commitment to that. So that's at the core of it is really trying to get people together and outside.
0: You've already gone into this a little bit, but you have such diverse and inclusive programming So besides being a beautiful park for the community to come together and see all these amazing sculptures, tell us more about those other programs that you have and how they're agents also to make your mission come to life.
3: Sure. So yeah, the, with the park, you know, our primary, I guess program is that we offer this rotating exhibition of about 70 different artworks and those are made by artists from all over the world. Um, They're primarily large outdoor sculpture, but there's also some murals. And there are several interactive works. Um, one is a graffiti sanctuary that was created by an artist out of Minneapolis, Peyton, Scott Russell. He's a graffiti artist. And that is an invitation in a place where people can come and paint, express their ideas, their opinions, their voice through images or text um, at any time. It's open, you know, as long as the park is open, um, you can come paint on Graphology Hinge. And so there are. Um, you know, programs like that, that are sort of self-guided, I guess. They're here and open, you know, as long as the park is open. And then uh, we have some more focused uh, programs right now. We shifted our tours um, so that now they are smaller groups. So it's a limit of nine people and you register in advance. We offer um, the first Sunday guided nature tour. Which often has a different person leading it, and it's always a different theme. And then, um, and then we have the uh, last Saturday sculpture tour, which is obviously more focused on the artwork, primarily the sculptures. And again, it's different every time. With seventy artworks, but you don't look at all of them, you know, in a one-hour tour. So we vote, we have different themes, and then we have a night sky tour. We have a NASA solar system ambassador who is our uh, volunteers for us to lead this program and he's brilliant That's and cool. so passionate it's so cool um we're part of the nasa uh, museum alliance which is like kind of rad you know um he found this like amazing camera that can go on these huge telescopes and then you can and then we bought a, a screen for it so you can see on the screen what it what they're looking at in the night sky so you can see it with your real eyeball And then you can see it on the screen and Dan talks about it. And if people haven't yet um, checked out any of those, they're $10 a person, you know? So we try to keep that really reasonable um, and, you know, still family friendly. And so that's a lot of
0: silver linings in this. I feel like as nonprofits have had to be innovative, they found things that have been like, wait, that actually works for us. So there is definitely a silver lining. in. I think so.
3: I think a lot of us have found ways of, maneuvering that are actually honestly um for us i know and i'm sure this is true for most of the small nonprofits and probably big ones too but that we all worked ourselves nearly to death you know before and now we've had to set these certain limits um because of covid and and in doing that it's kind of created a little more balance in our lives which is bizarre but you know we have found like wow that's actually much more healthy for us right. and and it's a better experience for the visitors too and you know i think so many of us are so driven and passionate that we just work 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 and mm-hmm. you know it's it's kind of a gift to have been able to to kind of be forced to step back and look at things differently and and try a new way and for us it's been really good um for the park and I think like as I said for the visitors too and certainly for us which is good long term.
0: I love this idea of beautiful things crafted by human hands amidst the organic beauty of nature Mm -hmm. and I know that's maybe a common theme for you all so describe that juxtaposition.
3: Yeah I think if people have been to other sculpture parks before um we're a little different than a lot of other sculpture parks. Most sculpture parks, most, are uh, part of or connected to a museum. Um, and so the goal of the museum, their mission most of the time, is to conserve artworks. And so you can't touch them, obviously, because that will damage them over time. And um, and they're permanent. And, and they're placed in the landscape most of the time in a way that is sort of dominant. And what we wanted to do here was to really try to create a relationship between the artworks and the natural environment so that they both coexist very evenly and they they complement each other. And so part of how we do that is that really, none of the things here are truly permanent. We don't don't purchase works. We're not um, installing them for permanent exhibition. So that the so that it rotates and we can you know we can feature new artists give other artists opportunities to make work and the you know the um visitors opportunity to see new work um but we also didn't want to you know kind of impose the sculpture on the landscape and so you won't see a lot of concrete pads out here um and then it also enables us to be able to change the whole um design and the way people move through the park based on the sculptures that are here because you know one sculpture may look great in a certain spot but it when a new one comes it may not necessarily want to live in that same spot and so we can just mow a new path make a new path and and put a new sculpture in and um and we've done a lot of work too land conservation work um mitigating uh, invasive species, plants, you know, honeysuckle and calorie pears, and those are the primary big ones, some um, olive, but, um, and inc- improving birding habitat as well. So we have several native wildflower meadows. Um, we have some birding areas where we actually set up bird feeders and um, we've partnered with Wild Birds Unlimited in Frankfurt. She's been a great support, she's led workshops we're in, we're going to be, we're designing right now a bluebird trail and Kristen with wild birds is going to be kind of the main lead on that. She's also part of Frankfurt Audubon Society. So we have a lot of partnerships with other primarily non-arts organizations um, in our immediate community, but also, you know, even out into Lexington and Louisville, we've partnered with a lot of different.
0: It sounds yeah. Beautiful. I'll have to come and check it out. And all the listeners oh, will have to yeah. do it too. <laughs> yeah, you. So, I love this concept of art is for everyone. And when it is made accessible, people from all facets of society can come and partake. I really love that. And that's your mission. So that has to be rewarding to watch. What has been one of the most rewarding experiences for you during your time at the park?
3: You know, I, as I said, I, I grew up out here in the land and just like you know digging up plants and like find, building things out of sticks and you know finding new you know butterflies and caterpillars and you know just being wowed by that stuff and as i was growing up as in a young adult i i noticed a lot of kids didn't have anything close to that experience they were if they experienced it at all it was like through a screen of some kind and so um One of the best things that ever happened. This was at our very first Fall Arts Festival. And I saw my nephew. I'm going to try not to cry. But I saw my nephew who was probably at that time. He was about 10. And he, you know, was used to being on his phone and his games and stuff. And I saw him just flat out running across the field to the next sculpture. And I thought, man, I could die right now. Like he, there's no screens. There's no... It, you know, and he's just outside breathing this air and he's like, got to figure out what that thing is over there on the horizon. And it, it, so it was like this adventure, you know, and and I see kids doing that out here all the time. And, and parents will do it sometimes too. Probably a really close second is but to be able to support kind of an emerging or mid-career artist, to help facilitate them, build something that they dreamed of that nobody else would give them the funding to do because they've never done it before for us to be able to do that for them and then to see them grow in their practice and get another project because of what we help them do and they now have that experience that as an artist myself feels really really good um and you know to be able to do that for Kentucky artists and offer them opportunities so that they don't have to leave the state to be able to be successful and to make their work and to show their work, Um, you know, as a Kentuckian, that feels really good too. So,
0: and those two are so unique too, and just two totally different aspects of your organization, which shows that it's rewarding in so many different ways. So, yeah. You are able to remain free and open every day thanks to your supporters. So tell the listeners why they should they should give to you.
3: Well, you know, um, I think we're really unique in that, as you said, you know, nobody. There's no other sculpture park in the state of Kentucky, and we offer 30 acres of art and nature to families 365 days a year from dawn until dusk for free. So. People can come here any day, you know, and, and experience what we have to offer. And it may be that it's their kid's birthday party, or it may be that they're just having a really crummy day at work and they need to step outside a little bit and have some space to themselves and breathe in the fresh air, you know, and just sit among the trees and watch some sculpture and birds, you know. Um, And we do that. And we've done that since 2009. We've never charged to enter. People ask me all the time, why don't we do that? And I will say unequivocally, we will never do that. And we want people to be able to come here. And that is a huge obstacle for a lot of arts organizations that um, people maybe would really love to take their kids to the museum, but they can't afford it. And so maybe there's one day a week, you know, where they do like a family day. But um, that is something we have been committed to since day one. And we will continue to do that.
0: I want to know what can be expected from you in the upcoming months. What can our listeners expect to see after they listen to this? And when they go home and look you up, what are they going to find? Well,
3: if they check out the website, there is um, a section on the artists. So they can look at, if they go to the visit tab, they can see uh, all, you know, um, photographs of most, I'd say 98% of the sculptures and murals that we have out here are on the website. So they can get an idea of the kind of sculpture that we have. And the artists you know that are out here and um you know they'll they'll again i think they'll notice that um we have this commitment to not only to the arts but also to the environment and to the community and if they come out which i hope they do because there's nothing like being here in person um i think one of the things i hear all the time is there's just something there's just some kind of something that feels really great here melanie you know and and I just always think, well, that must be my grandmother, Josephine, you know, because I have always felt it. Um, but then when other people say it, too, I think, wow, well, OK, maybe it's not just me being, you know, personally connected to this plan, But maybe there really is something here, you know, that's that connects people um, and it makes people feel really good. And so I think they'll they'll feel that. And and I hope, you know, that people will want to give themselves like a winter adventure and that when it snows they will come out and explore the park because it's so fun in the snow.
0: I bet it is fun in the snow. That's so beautiful about your grandmother. That's beautiful. Thanks. So- She's
3: a pretty awesome lady.
0: It sounds like it. Well, she <laughs> invested in you and look what you've done. So well, thank legacy you. lives on. <laughs> that means
3: a lot to me. Yeah. thank you.
0: Yes. So last question, you've done an amazing job. Just shout out a place where people can find out more about you, how they can get more involved, your website, social media, anything. Sure. Yeah. So our website is
3: josephinesculturepark.org and um, we're on Facebook. We're very active on Instagram as well. And most uh, all of our, um, events and not so much events anymore but programs and all the things that we have going on here um, are listed on the website calendar and on Facebook and often we put that stuff on Instagram too so um, and it's Josephine Sculpture Park on Facebook or Instagram.
0: Okay great well Melanie thank you for doing good and making our community a better place and we loved hearing your story here on the Do Good Radio Hour we appreciate it. Thanks so
3: much for having me it was fun talking to you and I hope I see Lots of more people at the park.
0: All right, everyone. That is it. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you were encouraged by the stories of good happening right here in our community. I definitely know that I am. Make sure you tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. for more good stories and the next installment of the Do Good Radio Hour.